Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we today? We good? Everybody's good today? You sound great. I know there's a lot of people that are sick. I feel fantastic. Um, So I don't know how you feel, but I feel great. So I'm glad you're here. For those that are watching online, whether that's where you normally join us from or you're homesick today, uh, we, we are thankful for you as well and uh, hope that if you are sick, you're feeling better soon. Uh, I don't know if you heard the news, but, uh, you know, in this Christmas season, it's always great to celebrate. There was a baby born, and I'm not just talking about baby Jesus. Baby Hale was born last night. Uh, Eden, Pastor Carson and Madeline had little, little Miss Eden. She is beautiful, and uh, everybody's doing great, healthy. Pastor Carson is our youth and young adults pastor. Pastor Madeline is our G-Kids pastor, and uh, we're thankful for this addition to their family, and by extension, our family, all of us. I love that I'm at the stage of life, you know, uh, where I can just hold babies and then give them back. You know what I'm saying? Like, there comes that moment in your life where that's really exciting, and so I'm, I'm thankful that I, uh, I get to do that, but we're so thrilled for them, and uh, again, everybody's doing great, and, uh, and so we're thankful for that as well. You know, there's a lot of great things happening. You heard Garrett say it just a few minutes ago, a couple of great things. Uh, you're going to hear more about the legacy offering in just a minute, but we are not extending it because it wasn't great. We, we had the largest legacy offering we've ever had in the history of our church last week. Uh, absolutely. Just over to this point, just over $30,000 was given to allow us to be able to do some things that we desire to do that we had kind of decided this year that we wanted to, to really chase after some new ministry endeavors and so we talked about that a little bit, but you can continue to give, and so you'll hear more about that. But there is a great thing happening this coming weekend. Everybody say Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. It's on the 24th this year. We've changed it. So uh, you're going to have to wake up. I told you I'm in a good mood. So uh, 24th this year, we have a service at 6 p.m. We'd love for you to join us. We already have uh, nearly 200 people registered to be a part of that service. It's going to be a really special night, candlelight. Uh, just a really couple of special things that we'll do together as we celebrate together as a church family on Christmas Eve. And uh, so we want you to come and bring your family and friends to be with you. And all we're asking you to do is just reserve to help us so we can kind of know how to serve you best and how to help facilitate that. I would encourage you to arrive a little early to make sure that you can sit with your family. And uh, just remember that uh, our G kids will be with us. And so we've got some kids bags prepared for them with some activities and some things that they will be able to do as a part of that service as well. Uh, But it's going to be a really great night. And then on Christmas Day, uh, that's on the 25th this year, on Christmas Day, we're going to stream a service. It's Christmas at Generations at Home. Uh, We're going to stream a service at 8 a.m. So for those whose kids wake you up about 4.15, you've already opened the presents, you've had breakfast, you can join us for church at 8 o'clock. But it's also going to be available after 8 o'clock on all of our various platforms so that you can kind of sit down with your family and watch uh, a Christmas service together. It's a really special service that we prepared just for that day. Uh, And so I'm excited about that as well. And then on January the 1st, that's on the 1st this year. So I'm going to stop that joke in a second because you've stopped laughing. But uh, on January the 1st, holiday service schedule, one service, 10 a.m. And so we want you to be with us for that. Uh, We're going to kick off our 21 days of prayer on January the 1st. And so we'll talk more about that in the days to come. But then the, the, the other thing that I need you to know about is on January the 8th. Everybody say the 8th. Say it one more time. Eighth. We're changing our service times. So we're going to 9 and 1030. Okay? I got some woohoos over here. I don't know what that is about. But, uh, but here's what we're doing. If you normally attend the 930, you just pick. You can go that way to 9 or you can go up to 1030. 
but we're switching our service times, and the 11 o'clock crowd, I'm assuming most of them will come to 10.30, but we're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, it's going to create a better guest experience across both of our services, both in this room and in our kids' environments. Uh, it's, it's for us, over the last few weeks and really the last few months, we've had some tension in our, our services as far as some of the, the crowd sizes and different things from week to week, and it creates just a better experience. So we're moving that up to give people a different choice uh, and we think that that will help. We've talked to all of our volunteer teams and all the folks, and we think that that will help us a lot. But it also does this, and just hear my heart for a second. I'm going to take 20 seconds here to, to share with you. At some point in 2023, I anticipate we may have to go to three services. That, that's a great spot for you to amen right there. I mean, a really great spot. So uh, this helps prepare us to make that move. And so we, we've experienced incredible growth over the last few months, hundreds and hundreds of new people. We celebrated with our volunteers just, uh, I guess, 10 days ago or so. We've had about 600 new people come to our church just in 2022. And so uh, as they continue to come more regularly and as they plug into the life of our church, we continue to see more and more people show up and come and experience life change and just, just dig in here. Uh, we're anticipating that in 2023 we may have to make that move. And so when we do, this time change better prepares us for that. So be in prayer about it, but also just decide, are we a 9 o'clock service group or are we a 1030 service group? Okay, so by show of hands right now, I'm not going to hold you to this. If you change your mind, the IRS is not going to show up at your door. I may, but the IRS will not. If you think you're going to attend the 9, raise your hand. Okay, that helps us in this service. I would assume that. If you think the 1030, there's no peer pressure. If you think the 1030 might be yours, raise your hand. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I agree. There's, there's, that's about the split we anticipated in this service. I would assume a lot of our 11 o'clock crowd will move to 1030, but that will help us as well. So uh, just be, uh, be ready for that. January the 8th will make that move. So a lot of different things. Just make sure you're watching all of our social media channels to get the latest update. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, January 1st, and January the 8th. It's going to be awesome. You know, last week we jumped into kind of the continuation of what we've been celebrating all month long with Christmas here at Generations, and we looked at some of the lyrics from the song, Oh Holy Night, and we talked about this thrill of hope. And we talked about what, what was that? The thrill of hope we defined as this sudden feeling of expectation, the sudden emotion of expectation. We talked about from, the, from Scripture, like, some suddenlies. We don't do great with that. We like to be planned out. We like to anticipate what's coming. We like to know what's ahead. We don't like some suddenly moments. But in Scripture, God always interrupts our routine and the regularity of our lives to suddenly do something. And so we want to be prepared for those. But also, we want to be a people of hope and expectation. We believe that there are some things to be excited about. And as Christ followers, if you are a Christ follower in the room, we should be the most hope-filled, joyful per people on the planet. And so we believe that we should be people of hope and expectation. So we talked about that last week. I encourage, if you missed it, to jump onto our YouTube channel or the podcast and catch up. But today I want to continue in that line of lyric from Oh Holy Night, and I want to talk about this idea of a weary world rejoices in preparation for Christmas and, and, and this week ahead and all that will happen for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and just thinking about where we would spend our time. I, I was struck by this idea of weariness. And, and again, I already made you raise your hand. I'm going to make you do it one more time. If you have ever been weary in your whole life, raise your hand. If your hand is not raised, I want you to stand up because we're going to pray the sinner's prayer for you, you bunch of liars. <laughs> Weariness can take on a lot of different forms. It can look like a lot of different things, but it's, it's about being tired. It's exerting too much. It's not resting. It's a lot of things. And as I even define it, I feel like I need to raise both hands a little bit right there. But weariness doesn't always have to be 
uh, our, our normal go-to mode. I, I was thinking about the fact that when we talk to people now, so often what happens when they say, how are you doing? One or two of the preferred responses that we tend to get back is, I'm so busy or I'm so tired. Uh, you know, we were talking about this new baby. If, if you've got kids under the age of, I don't know, 40, you're probably not sleeping a lot at night, right? I mean, you're worried about something with your kids or your grandkids or the decisions they're making or the things that are happening. And so we start talking about weariness and it, it really takes on a lot of different forms for a lot of us. Some of you won't get this reference, but I, I ran across this week, the, the old Peanuts comic strip. This definitely dates me. But the Peanuts comic strip, you know, Snoopy, he, he's often found writing and he's coming up with some new material, new content. And so Lucy happens by one day and she offered some very unsolicited advice, which she tended to do. But he was starting all of his stories with, you know, once upon a time. I'm, I'm sorry, he was starting all his stories with it was a dark and stormy night. And she was like, that's a terrible way to start a story. You need to start a story with once upon a time. And so he's listening to her and she's talking about why it should be once upon a time and not on a dark and stormy night. And so she walks off, and so he starts his story with, once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> and maybe you've had some of those dark and stormy nights, because we've all lived those kinds of moments, those kinds of days or nights where it feels dark and stormy, and maybe it's personal tragedy. Maybe it's bad news that you receive. Maybe it's the future being uncertain. Maybe there's physical sickness or financial unrest or broken relationships. The events during or after the pandemic for so many people affected them mentally, emotionally, physically. Almost every person has experienced some type of dark and stormy, unexpected night, which has created some type of weariness for all of us. And we often put on this happy face, don't we? I mean, we often just put on the face like everything's going great. Our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors, they ask us how we're doing and we say, we're fine. Corey and I had a conversation last night about how the word fine is not really an appropriate response most of the time, right? Fine doesn't really tell us anything. And so... It's like we're just, oh, I'm fine. Things are, things are okay. Things are good. But we don't want to let them in behind the mask to know that there's some things that are happening and we're weary and we're tired and we're burdened by some things and we're carrying those things. I was doing a lot of research this week in anticipation of our time and I ran across a, a bunch of different numbers. I'm going to share some of them with you just to kind of help all of us feel like we're a little bit normal but also to recognize the condition that we find ourselves in in this human experience right now. The latest studies reveal that at least 20%, at least 20% struggle with seasonal mood swings, often referred to in this season as the winter blues. This is actually a chemical thing because your body is using more energy to stay warm. And you're also not really out in the sun as much, so you're not getting as much vitamin D. Your melatonin and other nutrients are depleted and deficient. And so you actually are a little sadder and a little more tired in the winter months because of what's happening. And too, with time change, it gets dark at like noon 30, right? I mean, it's like, I don't understand how that's appropriate for any of us, but we're constantly in the dark, it seems like. And so at least 20% of people struggle with seasonal mood changes. Sleep is a vital factor in our overall health, and some of you are like, whoa, don't be talking about my sleep life, right? The average adult needs between seven and nine hours of sleep each night, but 30% report averaging, averaging less than six hours per night, according to the National Health Interview Survey. And, and, and here's one of the things that I, I recognize about that. Chronic sleep deprivation causes depression, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and a ton of other illnesses. And it's difficult to actually quantify tiredness. You're just tired and you don't have a degree for tiredness. But they've tried to do studies to determine how can we show what effects tired and being tired has on the body. And there's been a, a study recently up in Canada 
and they found out that if you have less than seven hours of sleep a night in a regular basis, on a regular basis, so over the course of a few days, if you are averaging less than uh, seven hours per night, you have the equivalent of blowing a .05 blood alcohol content. So the, if you're averaging less than seven hours a night, like you're awake 17 hours in a row for multiple days in a row, your body thinks that you are intoxicated. Some of you are like, you're like, well, I, there's been a problem for me for years because our body needs sleep. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me this. I kind of thought she was tricking me to go to bed, but now as a parent, I feel it and I understand it and I tell my kids this, but I also recognize it from, I'm at the age now where I get injured while asleep and I don't remember what happened. I just wake up and I'm like, man, I feel terrible. And all I did was lay in my bed. I don't know what, I pulled something rolling over, but my mom used to tell me all the time that our bodies are designed, God created us to recover while we sleep. And so if you aren't sleeping, your body isn't recovering. There's so many things that aren't happening inside of you when you aren't sleeping. So so much of, not all, but so much of our weariness is actually because we're tired. Like we're literally not sleeping. But there are also a ton of other things at play. Some of our weariness is related to much larger issues. Some type of anxiety, or in extreme cases, anxiety disorders. And while every one of us deals with anxiety in some form, you, you, you are afraid of something, something happens that causes you to become anxious, and that is a normal human response in and of itself. But when you look at all of the various things that are taking place in our world right now, recent studies reveal that 43% of Americans have at least a mild impairment in life because of anxiety. Like their life is somehow negatively affected because of a struggle with anxiety, 43%. And of those 43%, of those people that, that have identified themselves as kind of struggling on a semi-regular basis with anxiety in some form, 50% of those describe anxiety as a major issue in their life, and they describe their lives as having had prolonged periods of depression. Like there's some weariness here. There's some heaviness that's taking place in the lives people, maybe you, maybe somebody that you know. One of the major problems in these types of struggle is that a majority of people who struggle regularly with anxiety also exhibit symptoms of sleep disorders, which diminishes sleep, which escalates their levels of anxiety. It is an endless cycle. And there is a heaviness here when we talk about this. And in no way is anything that I've already said or anything that I'm about to say intended to diminish what you may be walking through. There's no part of this that should make you feel like I don't recognize and grieve with you about the things that you have experienced or are experiencing in your life. But I also recognize that this is not the first time in history that these types of things have been taking place and that the Bible speaks to them and that God's love is made perfect in all of our weakness. And so when we feel weary and when we feel weak and when we feel a heaviness on our hearts and on our lives and the things that we walk through, where do we turn and what do we do? Last week, we looked to Isaiah chapter 9, which is one of those prophetic places in the Old Testament that declares that Jesus is coming. And we're going to go there in just a minute. But before we do, I want to go to actually a few verses before that. It's actually the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go there with me in just a second because we're going to spend some time here. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 21, it says this. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished. 
They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Distress, darkness, fear, hunger, being tired. Any of this sound familiar? These are the things that we've been talking about over these last few minutes. And it's in this type of context that God declares through the prophet, he foretells of this coming Messiah. Now look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. So if you've got a, a printed Bible, you can just maybe flip one more page or it's down under the next heading. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now pause for a second. Keep your finger right there where it's at. I want you to remember, and if you don't know this, so it's not really remembering, maybe this is new information. When the Bible was being constructed, it started as oral transmission, right? They, 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 they told these stories, and they declared these things to one another, and then they began, they began to, to capture them and write them down on scrolls and to, to put them into some type of written form, and then they would read them aloud because the education process at that point wasn't such that most of the people could read, and so there was no way for them to give the printed Bible or these scrolls to every individual, because they couldn't have read it anyway. And so the priest would read aloud the law and he would read aloud all of the instructions from God. And so there was no chapter and verse. I told you just a second ago to go to Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. That, that, that wasn't something that started like at the beginning. The, the, the words of the law and scripture and the prophecies and the gospels, all of those as they were captured together and brought together, they were just one reading. They had all of the scroll of Isaiah. They had all of the writings of Paul in different places. But really beginning in about the 5th century, and it wasn't really accepted then, so then it waited for a few hundred years. But starting in about 1400 and then again in 1500, they began to take all of the scriptures and people began to read. And the printing press was coming to be. And, and so you had the Gutenberg Bible and you had all of these different things. And so what took place is they began to separate it so that they wouldn't have to start at the beginning and go like, hey, I'm going to read, but in about 20 minutes, there's going to be something good I'm going to say. They said, no, no, if you will go to Isaiah chapter 9, and they gave them chapter numbers, and they gave them verse numbers so that they had a point of reference to go specifically to a place that they could read something that they were trying to understand. And so why am I telling you this? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, it's just good information. Because sometimes when we read, we think that they're separate pieces, but really it's one story. It's one narrative from beginning to end. It's God's story, God's meta-narrative of his love for humanity. But I'm also telling you that because sometimes we put dividing lines where numbers are, and there's not actually a dividing line. It's one complete story from beginning to end. And so, in the original Hebrew texts, when they started adding numbers for chapters and verses... The verse that I just read you, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, was originally in the Hebrew text, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 23. Now, if you've got a Bible right now, there is not an Isaiah 8, 23. It's Isaiah 9, 1. So if you read it all together, 21, 22, and what was 23, or 21, 22, and what is now Isaiah 9, 1, it reads like this. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will thrust into uh, utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. It's one story. It's darkness 
and then a transition. And what is that transition pointing to? What is this no more gloom? It's what we read last week, a few verses later in Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verse 6, where it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the history of Israel, Isaiah is speaking about this dark, heavy, wearying time where everyone feels the distress and the darkness and the gloom of what they're facing, but he declares to them that while they can't see it yet, that darkness will be no more and their gloom can part because there is coming a Messiah. There's coming the anointed one, the savior of the world, and their circumstances are about to change. Darkness and weariness and heaviness won't have to continue. And God knew that they needed something. And so God was sending them a savior and he did so, and I talked about this a little bit last week, he did so in the form of a baby boy. He didn't send to them this conquering king in final form. He sent to them this baby boy who wasn't just any baby boy. He was the son of God. And he would grow into a man. The fulfillment of all of these prophecies to rule and to reign forever. And his name and his nature is that of peace. And here is what the Prince of Peace says to those who are weary. After he grew into a man and he began to do public ministry in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're weary today, if you're burdened today, if you're worn down, if you're tired, the Prince of Peace says, come to me and I will replace those things with rest. Now many of us are weary today because of some things that we've chosen to do. I talked about some of them just a few minutes ago. We're not sleeping, we're not eating right, we're not doing all the things we're supposed to do, all of those. Others of us, maybe it's a combination of a lot of things, including some internal things and some chemical things and some circumstantial things. There's a ton of dynamics that can lead us to this place. But some of us are weary and worn down because we are literally carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. But Isaiah told us that the world rests on his shoulders, Jesus. And Jesus declared that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. You aren't supposed to carry more than you've been given to carry. I ran across this story this week, and I thought it was really powerful. Many years ago, a guy by the name of George McCausland served as the director of the YMCA in western Pennsylvania. It was a difficult situation because the YMCA was losing money, membership, and staff. McCausland worked 85 hours a week trying to fix things. He couldn't sleep at night. Even when he was away from the job, he was worrying and fretting about problems he couldn't solve. A therapist warned that he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown, and somehow he needed to let go and let God take charge of his problems, but he had no idea how to do it. The breakthrough came one day when he took a notebook and he ventured into the forest not far from where he lived. As he walked through the woods, he could feel his muscles starting to relax. Sitting down under a tree, he sighed and felt at ease for the first time in months. 
And taking out his notebook, he decided to let go of the burdens of his life, and he wrote God a letter that simply said, Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. Looking back at that moment, he reflected with a twinkle in his eye. Wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. I want to give some of you some practicals about combating weariness. But before I do, I just want to remind you of this reality. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The government is on his shoulders. And that's definitely going to be fully realized in the future. But as we wait for that day, many of us need to resign as general manager of the universe. You are weary and heavy burdened because you are carrying something that you were not intended to carry. And that weariness and that heaviness, all of the things that you may be facing right now, Jesus says, if you will unburden those things to me, you will find a rest that you cannot imagine. Now, I also recognize that today there's a difference in weariness and debilitating anxiety. So I told you up front, and I'll tell you again, I'm not making light of that. I'm not trying to make it smaller than it is. But I also want all of us to recognize that no matter what anyone has prescribed to you, no no matter what anyone has diagnosed about you, God desires what we just sang, that you could be free. God desires that you could walk in the kind of freedom that he designed and purposed for your life and that you don't have to face some of these debilitating things. And so there are a lot of ways that you could find that kind of freedom and that kind of peace. So I want you to hear all of the rest of what I'm talking about through that lens and then you take them and you process them and work through them with whoever it is that you're on this journey with. But if we want to combat weariness and find rejoicing, here's the first thing that we need to do. We need to rest. I got an amen from one person. That's okay. I told our team this morning in our huddle, I said, I'm praying that the Lord would help some people to sleep during my message today. Some of you have been doing that for years. But others of you, maybe that's exactly what you need is just some rest. So here's what I'm telling you before I even go any further. Today, you need to go home and take a Sunday afternoon nap. Whatever it is that you need to do, for the most part, can wait an hour or four. Like whatever it is that you need to take a nap. That's what you need to do. But when I was thinking about rest, I I was looking to that story in 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah has just had the greatest victory of his ministry, and Jezebel gets word about it, and she sends word to Elijah that she's going to kill him by the end of this day. She said, within 24 hours, you're mine. And Elijah, even at the end of the greatest success he's ever experienced, is afraid and he's weary and he's not sure. And now he's on the run and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And we come to this in in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. By the way, let me just pause to say aloneness and weariness are not a good combination. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and beside him there was some bread baked on hot stone and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He was alone. He was scared and he was on the run. He was weary 
and he was not really sure what he was supposed to do. He didn't think he could make it, and wouldn't you know it, that the solution to his problem was this prescription. Take a nap, get up and eat some food, lay down and take another nap, wake up, eat some more food, take a journey, get there, get a good night's rest. And at the end of his good night's sleep, God speaks confidence and correction into his life. It could be that the thing you need to overcome some or all of your weariness is a good night's sleep and a good meal. You need to sleep better and you need to eat better. And let me just say, every time I stand behind this pulpit, I recognize the weight that my words will carry, not just with you, but on judgment day. I will be judged for every word that I use. And I need to repent. I'm not sleeping right, and I'm eating junk. It's the condition that I find myself in right now. And so some of the weariness that I'm facing right now in my life is because I'm not doing what Scripture calls all of us to do. We need to rest. We need to sleep better. We need to eat better. We need to do these things so that we can hear the voice of God and he can correct us, but he can challenge us and he can calm our fears to say you are not actually by yourself in this struggle and in this journey. And that's exactly what the voice of God did. It may not solve all your problems, but I promise you, if Jesus said, come to me and you will find rest, this is definitely a part of the process. One of the first gifts that God gave to his people was Sabbath. He said to them, in the story of creation, he, he created all that is and was on six days, and then on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. And so the Sabbath then was something that he gave to his people. He said, you need to stop for a 24-hour period of time from producing anything. Now, there's definitely a legalistic way that you could interpret that. And some of the teachers of religious law came to Jesus when he was healing some people and tried to challenge him on the letter of the law here. But here is what the Sabbath looks like. I am going to pause from production because my value is found in Christ even when I am at rest. So many of us believe that our value and our worth is only equal to what we produce with our hands. It's only equal to what we are doing on our job. That's why we can't get rid of email and we can't get rid of working on little projects and we can't, like we just think we've constantly got to be on. My brother posted this this week, but he, he said that for so many years, they convinced us, I think I just turned my flashlight on. No, I didn't. He said, for so many years, they convinced us that this thing right here would be the best thing that would ever happen to us. And actually what it's done is it's made us more anxious, more tired, more connected, and it's actually counterproductive to what we thought it would do in making us more efficient. And so what we've got to recognize is that for so many of us, we've got to take some time out during our week just to pause and Sabbath. And you're like, you don't know my schedule. I don't. But I know the God who said we are supposed to take a Sabbath. We're supposed to pause. We're supposed to take some period of time and say, God, I'm trusting you with my rest. I'm supposed to work hard. I'm supposed to put my hand to the plow and create and do because it actually speaks to the work ethic that you placed inside of me. Work was not a punishment. Work came as part of a punishment later. But God gave Adam a job before sin. There's something that you and I should do. We should work hard. But there is also a time that we pause and rest and just accept that God loves us even when we are still. We all have to rest more. Take a Sabbath. Here's the second thing you got to do. You got to laugh. You got to laugh. I, I, I love to laugh. I love all kinds of things. But I ran across this this week, and man, it grieved my heart. Did you know that the average child smiles about 400 times a day? 
versus the average adult who smiles 20 times a day? We don't smile anymore. We don't laugh anymore. The weariness and heaviness of our lives and the things that are going on weigh us down and we can't find joy in the midst of it. And so here's what I would prescribe to you. I can't find this specifically in the Bible, but I think the feeling is there. You need to pull up some comedians on YouTube. You just need to watch them and just laugh. If you don't like that one, find another one. I would encourage you, if you've never really done this, when you're searching, you want to put clean comedian. Okay? Some of you, I just set you free right there. I'm helping you a lot. Stumbling blocks are all over the place there. But clean, just, just laugh. Go to a funny movie. Watch a funny movie. You need to call up a friend or a group of friends and say, can we go to dinner and not talk about anything that's on the news right now, not talk about anything that anybody's posting on social media? Can we not talk about politics? Can we not talk about people we don't like? Can it just be life-giving and light and fun, and I want you to make me laugh 400 times before I get home? Like, we just need to laugh. We need to create, conjure up some joy and laughter and happiness in our lives. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Laughter is a gift from God. You think, well, that's, that's just in the Bible. Yeah, I told you earlier, this is the best science book you've ever gotten because here's what scientists have discovered hundreds and now thousands of years after the book of Proverbs, that laughter actually is good medicine, that it rejuvenates your body, it rejuvenates muscles, it re your brain releases endorphins when you laugh that makes your blood flow faster and better, it combats pain, it's actually a natural painkiller, and it improves your mood. Laughter really is a good medicine for our souls. Sometimes you just need a good laugh to change your perspective. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but if you need a good laugh, just in the lobby, go find J.R. Walker. Most of his stories are not true, but they're hilarious. Just go, JR's just going to raise his hand. You just go find him. He'll tell you a story. You just need to laugh. We need to rest, and we need to laugh. Here's the third thing. We need to pray. Now, I don't put this one last because it's less important than the others. In actuality, prayer should always be our first response and not our last resort. But I do believe that sometimes there are things that we can do before we ask God to do what he can do. Like, we should always turn to God first. But I think it could be that sometimes God's like, well, what are you doing about it? Like, yeah, absolutely, be praying about it. But like, you are not sleeping. You're not eating right. You're not exercising. You're not laughing. You're not, like, you're just down in it on your own, and you're not doing anything to change some of those circumstances. You're, you're still hanging out with the same people who call you with bad news all the time. Like, what are you doing about it? But I also believe that we turn to God and we recognize that God is the one who brings joy to our hearts. Now, let me say one more thing about prayer before we jump into this closing thought. Sometimes you can pray yourself into a worse mindset. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't know what you mean, and I don't know that I believe that. Maybe not. But if your prayer is centered around lament, and there's definitely a time for that, if it's constantly filled with, oh God, my life's so bad, things are so terrible, I feel so awful, I don't know how I'm going to make it, amen. That's not necessarily going to be something that brings you up out of the miry clay. It's not because the God that you're praying to, sometimes it's the words we're using. You can actually pray yourself into a worse mindset if you're not careful. 
But here's what I love. Jesus knew that we needed to be trained how to pray. And so this then is how we should pray according to Christ. Our Father. You may not have to say that word, but right at the beginning, you need to address who you're praying to. You're not praying to a self-help book. You're not praying to a therapist, and we believe that you should be seeing a therapist if you need to. We believe in that. We will refer you to some if you need some help. But you're not praying to them. You're praying to your Father in heaven. Our Father. He's not some random being out in the cosmos. You are praying to a loving, heavenly Father. If my kids come to me with a problem, I'm a fixer. I want to fix it. I want to do something about it. And scripture tells us that your loving heavenly father knows what you need before you ask it. And yet he still invites you to voice your concerns, to talk to him about it, to have relationship with him, to say, Father God, Abba Father. Abba Father just means daddy. Dad, I'm struggling down here. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm burdened. I don't know how I'm going to make it all the way through this Christmas week. I'm, I, I'm worn out. I don't know what I'm going to do. And scripture promises that he is close to the brokenhearted. He's not absent. He's not removed. He's near to us. Our Father is how we start our prayer. Who is in heaven. God, you have a different perspective than I do. Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You don't think about my weariness the way that I think about my weariness. You don't think about my relationships the way that I think about my relationships. So, Father God, Abba Father, I need your perspective here. I need your mind here about the things that I'm walking through. Would you help me with what I'm walking through? Hallowed or holy is your name. You're set apart. You're holy. I can pray to you and know that your desire is for me to be made holy too. That you desire me to walk in freedom. You desire for me to experience the kind of rest and peace that is only available through you. So your name is holy. And if I don't know what else to pray, I just declare your name, Jesus, 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 because I don't know what else to say. You're holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I submit my will to you. I want the best of heaven here on earth. God, I don't know if you know this, but the earth's a mess. My relationships are a mess. I'm a mess. But you knew that, and so you sent Jesus into the darkness and the distress and the dysfunction. You sent the Savior. And we believe that one day he's going to return. While we wait, would you help us to live according to your will, to find what it is that you desire for us? You know what I haven't done yet? I haven't confessed yet. I haven't really asked for anything yet. I've just changed my countenance. I've changed my posture. Where, where weariness feels like it weighs me down like gravity, prayer often lifts me up. It's the levity the God who is my help, changes my perspective, changes my thoughts. Here's a final thought before we pray. Take communion today. 
gone a lot of different places, but in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories is the story of Nehemiah. He goes and he rebuilds the city of Jerusalem. People are coming out of exile. There's a heaviness there. As they're coming back to be formed again into the people of God, protected by the wall around the city that Nehemiah has helped to rebuild. Nehemiah, who's the governor at that time, and Ezra, who's the prophet, they began to read from the law. And we understand from the book of Romans that the law is heavy. There's an awareness when our hearts are right and our minds are right that when the law is being read, you can't stand under it. You recognize your imperfections and your unholiness. I recognize my shortcomings and my deficiencies. And the people are experiencing that as Nehemiah and Ezra are reading the law, the scroll of God. And there's weeping. And there are tears. And there's heaviness and weariness as they stand there. And this is what we read in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. He continued, go home and prepare a feast, holiday food and drink, and share it with those who don't have anything. This day is holy to God. Don't feel bad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You got to change some things up. When you feel weary, you got to turn your attention to God. You got to eat better. You got to sleep better. You got to rejoice. Worship declares goodness. But when you and I can't conjure up joy and we can't make it and we can't create it and we can't overcome all of the heaviness of the things that we're facing, we just cry out to God and He gives us His joy, which is strength as opposed to weariness. It's a strength to us. It's a calm to us. The weariness of this world can rejoice because there's a Savior. We don't face these things alone. Jesus himself told us, in this world you will have trouble. But he said, take heart, be encouraged, be strengthened today because I have overcome the world. That is how a weary world rejoices recognizing that you and I don't have to shoulder the weight of the world. And as heavy as everything that we've experienced is, and it is heavy, that when we come to the foot of the cross and we do our best to lay them down before him in this Christmas season, he gives us the gift of rest and peace and joy. unexplainable, unfathomable because of what we've walked through, but joy nonetheless, and it is our strength. I'm going to ask you right where you are just to bow your head, close your eyes, just for a moment, just in response to what we've heard today, experienced today. Are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The 
weight of the law rests on you and it's heavy, then you need to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love of God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now if you would just say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need some joy in my life. I'm weary. I need some rest. I need the Lord to help me. And I'm asking him to do so. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. Tons of hands today. God, we love you so much. As we move our calendars towards Christmas, I pray today, God, for every person in this room, every person watching online, that it would be a season of celebration. And God, I pray now for every person who lifted their hand, acknowledged in their heart that they need you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, as they do that, we believe that you respond to them. You forgive their sins, and you are their Lord. And God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, I need some joy in my life. I need some rest for my soul. God, would you be their strength today? Replace their weariness in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.